Good morning. Happy New Year's Eve, everybody. Great. Have you ever had that occasion when uh, when God kind of slaps you around a little bit and straightens you out and you're thinking? Never, anybody besides me? It happened. A few uh, months ago, uh, I was sitting at home and I, it, it, I would relay it like this, whether this is exactly what happened. I don't know the spirit world that well, but it was like this. It was like the Holy Spirit, God, that inner voice said, uh, what, what do people get on a Sunday morning at your church that they can't get by staying home? They can't get anywhere else. Now, I know community, that's a big one. You can't get community at home. But as far as preaching, you can hear, I think I do a fair job, but I think you can hear better than me, right? Which did you clap to? <laughs> yeah, you can hear better, I know. I mean, you can hear, you can hear the, be- the best preachers in the world right on your computer or your television. And singing, I mean, the music here is fantastic. It's, yeah, it's great. But you can hear you can hear Hillsong and Jesus Culture and Bethel and all those people at home. Um, but then it occurred to me, you know, what about friends? Well, there's other places you can find friends. But the thing that you can't get on a Sunday morning, for sure, anywhere else, is ministry to your children, family ministry. You can't get that anywhere else. And I'm sitting there. And it was like the, the, the Holy Spirit just said, "What you haven't given your children's ministry a lot of thought. You know, you trust Tina Hamill. She's up there. You absolutely trust her. That's part of the deal. You just trust her. You know, you know she's going to do a good job. And you know she's going to care and all of that. And, and she keeps the kids out of the sanctuary on Sunday morning. <laughs> you know? Of course, that was a, a, a convicting thought. Do I see it as a babysitting service? Is that what I, how I see it? I really don't. But it doesn't matter what the script you write. It's the script you're living that matters in life. And I realized that's the script I was living on. Tina had been up there for about a dozen years. And just kind of, that was kind of way in the back of my mind, what was going on in Children's Church. Every week... We're talking about, in staff meetings, we're talking about what's going on here. We spend hours and hours about what's going on in this room. We don't spend hours talking about what's going up in that room. But which is really the most important? What's going on up at that other end of the building is our future. That's the future of our community and the future of our church and the future of the world. And statistics tell us that 70% of our young people leave our church and don't go, they leave church entirely when they hit young adult age. And it was like, boy, the Lord said to me, you got you to you you do something. You got to start. So Tina and I begin to have meetings. We begin to talk. What does God want to do? And we just decided, let's turn it all upside down. Let's redo it. Let's, let's change. The, let's look at new curriculum. Let's look at new... New, you know, a lead team you're going to meet in a minute, and a new name. So that's what I want to reintroduce to you today. Uh, that next week we're going to start a new program for our kids. And, yeah, it's worthy of an applause. Now this is going to be our soft launch. Soft launch meaning everything's not going to be 
as, as it's going to be. By the time we do our big launch, we're going to have the room repainted, redecorated, and, and all of that done. It's going to be really cool. And uh, so that'll happen by Easter. Easter, we're going to have the big launch, but we're going to bring you in. We want you to know about the soft launch, and we want you to start praying and supporting and caring, and like me, start thinking about what God is doing on the other end of the building. So we have a new name. It's not going to be uh, King's Kids anymore, and the staff gets fined if they say King's Kids anymore, because it's not King's Kids. That, that's a great name. It served us really well for a long time, and we appreciate those who came up with that name. We appreciate the castle and all the things that Tina and others worked so hard to do. But it served us well. It's time to, to move on, and we're going to move on. It's going to be called BCC Kids. And the I would capture the vision, and I'm sure we'll get better at articulating this vision, but really uh, three things that I want to see us do is really, really move forward in creating biblical literacy and knowledge among our kids. We've, we've chosen a curriculum. It's the Gospel Project. Yeah, that's, that's good. You can clap about that. It's the Gospel Project, and it's uh, really strong on biblical literacy and biblical knowledge. We want to we impart a Christian worldview. We are a church. This, this is a, a Christian organization. We want to impart a Christian worldview. And thirdly, we want to create and inform and give these young people wisdom to inform life's decisions. Everything from how they treat one another to those great big uh, moral decisions that are coming later. The other component of this that I am extremely excited about is parental engagement. Uh, we are going to take parental engagements. We're going to, our, our goal is to take that to a whole other level. Uh, there's an app that goes with the lesson. Every parent will have the app with the lesson every week on their phone or their iPad or their devices. So when they take those kids to soccer practice and dance and school, they can be talking about the lesson because they will have access to the lesson. So we want to help parents teach the faith. We have your kids like an hour and a half a week. You've got them the rest of the time. The rest of the time, they're your responsibility. We've got to come alongside you, parents, as the leaders of your children. And we know that you... One of the reasons you bring, come here, a lot of you, is because your children are happy about going to children's church. They like it. They drag you to church because they like it, right? But I'm going to tell you, for most parents, there comes a day when children start to test boundaries. It won't, probably won't be in children's church. It'll probably be at youth group age. And they'll go, I don't want to go. And if you haven't built a foundation of leadership, you will follow them somewhere else. And we want to help you. We want to teach. The second thing is we want to help you transmit a Christian worldview. We want to help you parents to know what that is. And, and we want to also coach you in the art of healthy parenting. Teach you some biblical principles and come alongside you. Coach you. Not tell you what to do or enforce our views on you, but to give, show you here are the possibilities. And we want to bring before you some parents that have done it and had them talk to you and say, okay, here's what we've been through. Good, bad, and indifferent that we've been through. So the next thing that we decided to do was uh, create a, a lead team. We hadn't really had that before. We had a lot of great 
uh, people up there, and thank you all. Many of you are sitting here this morning who've served over these years, and I want to tell you thank you very much. Uh, this is not, I've said this to Tina over and over, we're not saying that you did a bad job. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> we're not saying that at all, but we're saying, we're saying that uh, God is saying, remember what God said to Israel, what, what Moses said to Israel, you have come one time when they were supposed to leave from where they were. He said, you've come past this mountain long enough. Go ye northward. <laughs> we know northward, north, when something goes north, it's going up. So that's all it is. We've been at this level. Now it's time to go to another level. It's also time to change with the times. So I want to introduce the lead team to you. And uh, 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 right now, and, and I want you to, if you would, if you, yeah, you can applaud when they come up, but then save your, get, do a golf clap when they come up. And then after they're all here, we'll have you give a big clap, okay? Uh, our uh, BCC Kids Coordinator is still Tina Hamill. Tina, would you come? Thank you, Tina. Uh, you've done an awesome job. Appreciate it so much. Uh, would you like to give them a shout and invite them, tell them how great it's going to be in, in a few seconds? That's hard to do. I can't even begin to tell you the things that God has put on my heart. And we're raising up not just the next generation, but this generation. And my, my goal, and I know God's goal, and I know your goal as parents is to have a fearless generation of leaders who are going to go out and change their world, whatever world, God, whatever world God calls them to, to discover their purpose. So I am so super excited about this. I love the team that God has directed Pastor Phil to put together. You guys, you, your kids are in for an amazing, amazing adventure, and you are too. So I'm just so super excited and so blessed to continue to be a part of this awesome ministry. You can hang on to that. Um, yeah, Jake Bushnell. I want you to come up, Jake. Jake is our BCC Kids. Jake is our BCC Kids Administrator, and you'll be seeing and hearing from him. He, he'll be responsible to recruit the new workers and staff, and so many of you will be hearing from him as we need to build the staff. And um, uh, Jake, why don't you give them a shout as well? I know I didn't prepare you for it, but uh, and t tell them why, you're, why are you excited about this? All right. I'm just super excited because I grew up as a pastor's kid. I got that direct ministry but I saw a lot of other kids didn't. So all my friends, as they went, they struggled. So I'm really excited that we're going to be giving that, that pastor's kids level to each one of the kids of, of ministering to them. Awesome. And uh, the famous Rachel Hazer. Coming. <laughs> Rachel Hazer is going to be our, our, our small group coordinator, the kids are going to have small groups. Why don't you just as briefly tell them why you're excited about small groups and why they should bring the kids. Well, how many of you like being part of a community group? Raise your hands in this, in this room. Every, a lot of you are already parts of community groups within the adult circle. Well, we want the same experience for our kids. We want them to be connected to each other. We want them to learn how to apply what they've learned in the big story to their everyday lives. And that's what small groups are going to do for them. Amen. You can hang on to that. And uh, what, the small groups are not going to be meeting during the week at this point, but they will be meeting on Sunday morning. So they, they go into the small group when they first get there, and then they go back into their small group when they're done to go over the lesson. And uh, 
So you're, you're going to be, that's where, when you pick them up, they're going to be in their small group. Okay, one more, uh, two more people. Vanya Santos, I don't believe is here today. Uh, Vanya's not well today, but Vanya is our, our, I don't know if any of you have ever been around BCA, and you've heard Vanya tell a story. She is, she is great at telling a story. And so she's our story and lesson coordinator. So Vanya, I uh, hope you can feel better soon. Uh, Troy Longacre is on the team. And Troy Longacre as our BCC Kids Check-In and Greeting Coordinator. And uh, tell them why they should be excited about this. Uh, because they get to work with all these guys here, actually. Yeah, <laughs> so works out good. Um, yeah this is, it's going to be a great experience for all of us. Um, the kids are going to get some lessons that they haven't been used to in the past, and it's going to be a good place for us to start going forward again. Amen. All right. Thank you. Let's give them a big hand now. Thank you. Thank you. I don't need so today, uh, in, in, uh, in keeping with this, I, I want to give you a message today that uh, uh, will give you something to focus on in the new year, but also I wanted to piggyback on what we just did. And so I thought the, I, I had a sermon title, today was a standalone sermon, it's not a part of a series. Um, so I've had this title kicking around for a while uh, called A Reproducible Life. And thinking about how God wants us to lead a reproducible life. And there's a lot of things, to, a lot of places we could go with that. And we won't try to do every, every, every place we could go with that. But there's a lot of things. Sometimes we, we can, some people uh, uh, do a good job, but they, we, they lead an unsustainable life. Their life is unsustainable. So it's hard for them to co really coach others because they live a life that's so unsustainable. And so that, there's a lot of things to do with a, with a uh, reproducible life, but we're just going to give you a part of it. And here's what I want to give you today. Here's the point I want to make today. I want to talk about the priority of living a reproducible life. The priority of living a life that you would want to impart to others, that you would want to create in others, and hopefully, if I, can, if I can do my job here today, I can help you see what a huge biblical priority it is for me to live a life that can be reproduced in others. And um, I, I, so let's get into this today. And let's start by going to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is the words of Paul. Now, I don't struggle with wanting people to listen to me and listen to my opinions and my advice and my perceived wisdom. I don't struggle with wanting people to believe as I believe. I don't struggle with wanting people to come to church. I don't struggle with recommending that you become a follower of Jesus. I want people to be like Jesus, of course. God knows life is better for me in the ways that the people around me are most like Jesus. And I truly believe it's better for them. I don't struggle with wanting people to come out and hear me preach. But follow my example. Paul didn't say, listen to my podcast or read my book. Or come hear me preach this weekend. Paul said, follow my example. That sounds like a lot of work. 
That sounds like a loss of privacy on my part. That sounds like a lot of pressure. That also sounds a little bit arrogant. Do as I do. Follow me. Imitate me. And we've just come through, you know, this strong cultural belief that one should not impose their values on another person. You know about that, right? You know about that thing we just come through as a society in the last like a 30-year period where don't impose your values on others. The big cultural doctrine. Now, if you're listening to the educators, philosopher, thinkers, celebrities of society now, you know that don't impose your values on others is outdated. We, that train left the station. But nevertheless, I think most of us, most of us are still hold that idea in high regard, and some of us probably think that's still the wisdom of the streets, even though it's really not right now. Right now, culture is totally ready to impose their values on you and to tell you they are. But a lot of us still believe that's arrogant to impose your values. I mean, I've talked to parents who don't even believe they should impose their values on their children, uh, unless it's stuff like uh, going to school and learning to read, and then they believe they should. I, it, it just still feels wrong, doesn't it? Are, are you out there today? Are you with me today? Uh, am I resonating? It still feels kind of wrong to say, I found the way and you should follow me. Now, that doesn't mean, as I've already pointed out, that we're not opinionated. Most of us have a pretty good idea of what others ought to do and how the whole world would be better. No doubt if I placed a mic out on the floor today that you could step up to and you could start brainstorming about anything uh, you would do it. You, you know, you could. If I, if we, if we talked about how the Red Sox could improve their chances of winning another World Series, I'm sure that you would come to the mic and tell us all how that could happen, or U.S. foreign policy, or how the church could be more effective. Uh, we would get a lot of good bold ideas here today. You wouldn't hesitate to pontificate about your opinion, but the apostle doesn't say, "Listen to my advice." The apostle says, "Follow my example." Now, that's a whole other, uh, that's a horse of a different color, as they used to say. That's different than being opinionated. That's like when the, the chicken and the pig were arguing about who contributed most to the farmer's table and sustaining the farmer's family. And the pig goes, yeah, you have to be involved, but I have to be committed. You know what I mean? Follow my example. It's a whole other level of Intimacy, responsibility, and engagement that I'm normally comfortable with. I said, follow my example is a whole other level of intimacy because you have to, I have to start letting you see into me. I got, I got to let you spend time with me. I got to spend time with you. So it's a whole other level of intimacy, responsibility, and engagement that I am normally comfortable with. It's easy to give an advice and opinions that you don't even have to come close to practicing. Chris Brady says, just think how successful everyone would be if they followed the advice they gave everybody. Social media is an illustration of how the more impersonal the medium and the less physically present we are, the more strident and opinionated we are. <laughs> 
Social media is an amazing tool, but in terms of real personal contact, it doesn't hold a candle to physical presence. You know, Paul's term there, follow, I was amazed at how often it appeared. Six times in the New Testament, six times in the epistles, the word follow me, imitate me, that word was used in that way. Back uh, after the Civil War, 1865, uh, Robert E. Lee uh, uh, was at church one day, a very prestigious church in Richmond, Virginia. And they had communion down front, kind of like we do, but they instead of little, little cups, they had a common cup. They all drank out of that common cup. And a black man gets up, Remember, this is 1865. <laughs> this is not 2017. This is 1865. A black man gets up and walks down front and kneels to receive communion. And everybody gasped. Robert E. Lee stands up, walks down to the front, and kneels beside the black man. And takes communion with him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what that moment was like? That's saying, follow my example. He didn't get up, he didn't get up and preach a sermon. He didn't need to. Because he went in 1865 and he drank out of the same cup as a black man. This idea of producing Christ-likeness in others through personal engagement was, I'm telling you folks. It was the theme of Paul's life. I contend that after Jesus and grace, it was the predominant theme of the New Testament. I'm preaching it today because I'm determined to convince you, and specifically, though I'm not preaching a parenting sermon, Jay really did a great job at that a few weeks ago. But... I want to convince parents that you can and you must reproduce the faith and power of Jesus in your children. You ever play this game oh, with, with kids? You know, dads and granddads were just play goofy games with the kids. And, uh, you know, you do this where you go, watch my hand, watch my hand, watch my hand. They, you know, they watch it and they, then you bow, hit them with the other hand. You watch the other hand. Well, it, that's kind of what, and I'm not anti-cultural. It may sound like that once in a while, but I'm not. I, lo, I, I enjoy the world that I live in and enjoy so many things about it and find so much beauty in it and so much beautiful people outside of the church. But this, the world that we live in, you you got to keep your eye on them because here's what they did. Here, here's what the here's what here's what the culture has done to us, uh, especially in regard to our children. Our culture has done this to us. They've said, "Watch my hand. Don't impose your values. Don't impose your values. Don't impose your values. Watch this hand." And then, bah, with the other hand, they're imposing the values that are not from the Bible, that are anti-Bible, that are anti-God, and anti-truth. And we got deceived. We got deceived into thinking 
we were really being cruel worldlings by not imposing our values on our children. And maybe the word impose is a bad word. I, I'll, I'll admit that. Maybe impose is the wrong word here. But influence is a good word anyway. I think you can understand that word. That Paul's, Paul was obsessed about influencing the people that he cared about. Paul was in, obsessed about it. it. It was a predominant theme. I, I could give you a, a dozen verses, easy, but I won't give you that many. We'll just give you three. Galatians 4.19 from the Message Bible. Do you know how I feel right now? I want you to, I want you to get the pathos in this verse. Do you know how I feel right now and will feel until Christ's life becomes visible in your lives? Like a mother in the pain of childbirth. Oh, I keep wishing that I was with you. Then I wouldn't be reduced to this blunt letter writing language out of sheer frustration. Man, he's emotional about this. And then in 2 Timothy 1.5, he says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you. And then in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Paul's talking to the Ephesians. It says, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, now, now look at this. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, tears although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. He, he didn't just say, I came and preached to you. I came and lived to, with you. I came and imparted my life to you. Now, now listen to me today. Please don't check out because you're thinking, asking people to follow me as I follow Jesus is for apostles, pastors, and really veteran Christians like QV and Helen Manson. Please don't check out because you think it's too hard. Please don't check out because you think it's about teaching deep, hard-to-understand Bible lessons. Please understand, and I want to I say this. I, 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 I'm having to put this in a slide because I want you to see it. Please understand that making personal sacrifices because you feel responsible for another is at the heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of the gospel. We all know the gospel, at least certain things about the gospel, that Jesus left heaven and left glory and left luxury and left a perfection in order to live in the muck and the mire and the imperfection of earth so he could impart his, word, his life to us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is the setup for chapter 11. You know, the Bible, when Paul wrote these letters, he didn't write chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. We've put those in there in order to uh, have a, some sense of direction when we read the Bible. But the, the Bible was written. It was just a letter. So the last verse in, in chapter 10 just bleeds over into chapter 11. And so everything, this statement is actually, it's an amazing study that you ought to do on your own. Study chapter, first Corinthians chapter 10. Because it has so much meat in it, we don't have time for that, to get into it today. But first Corinthians chapter 10 is a setup for following my example. In chapter 10, Paul compares our journey to spiritual maturity, to the nation of Israel's journey through the wilderness to the new land of promise. He describes how this band of people, this nation of Israel, these, these former slaves made this journey across this desert, this barren desert, 
And he describes how these, this band of people, in spite of having these symbols of Jesus Christ, it, it, it describes a rock that gave them miraculous water and describes that rock as Christ. It describes a pillar of, of fire that followed them at night and a cloud by day. It describes the cloud and the fire as being um, symbols and metaphors of Jesus Christ in our life. And Paul describes how this band of people kept falling into a life of grumbling, trying to manipulate God or test God, tempt God as the Bible puts it, uh, sexual sin and idolatry. Paul warns us to use these negative examples of these people who had a symbol of Jesus Christ and all the things I just mentioned. He warns us to use us as an example of what can happen to us if, we're, if we don't check our desires. But what we find incredibly interesting, though, about the end of chapter 10 is that Paul did not once say that the people need to get better, they needed to get better, or we need to get better at following the laws of Moses. The laws of Moses were there. If they, if they could have obeyed the laws of Moses, they would have been fine. But Paul never said they just, they just needed to obey the laws of Moses better, and, and you need to... You need to you make sure you learn from them and get better at doing all the things Moses said, and then you won't become a train wreck, and your kids won't become a train wreck if you'll learn to do that. He doesn't say that. He also doesn't say God loves you, and it doesn't matter what you do. Neither did he say we got Jesus, that's all we need. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 30 through 33, 31 through 33. So whether you eat or drink, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to the Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I, too, try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so they may be saved. So Paul doesn't say the foundation of your life needs to be a better understanding of the law of Moses. Paul says, this is, a, this is important, I hope we can kind of grasp it together today. Paul says the foundation of your life must be relationships with other people. The foundation of your life must be your ability to have such deep care and such deep concern for others that you will sacrifice for them for their good. That's an amazing thing to me. I don't know if that does anything to you, that causes any, any brain cells to activate in you. But it does me that the, that, that the Lord says that through Paul that the law failed. And so we're not going to try to resurrect the law of Moses and try to tell people, you know, the law of Moses said if you don't do this stuff, you'll be cursed. Uh, you'll take you out and stone you at the end of the week if you do, don't obey the law of Moses. But the law of love says if I don't follow Christ and impart Christ, People I love will suffer. Who said amen? Who was that? Huh? Good job, Mary. Thank you. <laughs> Paul says, all of this, right, he says, before he says, follow my examples, I follow the example of Christ. Paul does not recommend more education, more adherence to the law of Moses as the means to a redeemed or saved life. He makes it incredibly clear that the way to a redeemed or saved life is to have another human who cares so much about they, you that they try to do what is best for you. 
A life that loves others more than self is a reproducible life. A life that loves others more than self. Now, there are three things you need to know about a reproducible life. There's probably a hundred things, but we've only got time for three. First of all, a reproducible life is incredibly uncomplicated and simple. That's good news, isn't it? It's incredibly uncomplicated and simple. As I follow the example of Christ, Jesus Christ didn't merely come to teach us. Jesus Christ came and happened to us. He happened to us. The word was made flesh, the Bible says. The theologians call it the incarnation. What would Jesus do? It's really a good, simple starting point for having a wonderfully reproducible life. Jesus Culture has a, I think it's a fairly new song. It says this. Here's the lyrics. I love these lyrics. There's a space in every beating heart. There's a longing that reaches past the stars. There's an answer to every question mark. There's a name. There's a hope flowing through these veins. There's a voice that echoes through the pain. There's an ember ready for the flame. There's a name. We will fix our eyes on the one who overcame. We will stand in awe of the one who breaks the chains. We will fix our eyes on the one who overcame. We will fix our eyes in awe of the one who breaks the chains. Victory has a name. Jesus. Joy has a name. Jesus. We will fix our eyes on the one who overcame. We will stand in the awe of the one who breaks the chain. Love has a name. Jesus. You want to have a great reproducible life? In a minute, let's really clap, okay? You want to have a great reproducible life? You simply have to study the template, study the model. It's not a thing. It's not a body of teaching. You have four books in the Bible that give you more than enough information about him. They're called the Gospels. And if you will study how Jesus lived the Gospel and how he happened to us, that's your that's your guidebook, that's your how-to book, that's your, that's your manual for living a reproducible life. You just simply say, I'm going to study and learn and know, and I'm going to become like Jesus. Now you can clap. Amen? It's incredibly simple. It's incredibly simple. It's what Robert E. Lee did. It's what Robert E. Lee probably thought about that day when he saw a black man go to the front and receive communion and doing something that at that time was as counter-cultural as anything he could have done, even if he had done it in Boston, even if he had done it in Los Angeles. It was as, but he did it in Richmond, Virginia. It was as counter-cultural as anything a man could have done and I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to live counterculturally. You are going to have to live counterculturally if you are going to follow Jesus. You, uh, the, the, and and make, it, make this your, your understanding that it's better to be unpopular and be on the right side of history. It's better to be unpopular and be on the right side of history. And if you will, if you will follow Jesus... You will, you will sometimes be unpopular, but you will always, always, always be on the right side of history. 
history will always come to your rescue. And, and we could do a study on that right now. We could go back and look at all the things where society and culture looked the other way and didn't defend. And 100 years later, racism is one of those things. Racism was as popular as it is unpopular now in the culture. Back in the day, and, and I've, you've heard me preach about how the churches really blew it with that. But God is calling us to be on the right side of history. I mean, this is why I will continue, and I don't have very many things I, I speak publicly about. I like all of you. I have opinions about a lot of things, but I don't want to make it a part of. I don't want you to think that's part of of, of coming to church here. Is you have to agree with certain political views and all that. But I will always speak for the unborn. I will always speak for, 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 the, for the rights of the unborn children because I know someday, I know that someday I will, I will be on the right side of history. Someday, science and everything else is going to be as outraged about what we've done as they were about the Holocaust. So I'm confident about that. But that only comes that you get your eyes on Jesus and you follow Jesus. Simple. The second thing I want to tell you about a reproducible life is a reproducible life is extremely practical. Extremely practical. If you're thinking, I've got to go get a degree, I've got to, I've got to, uh, I've got to become a life coach, nothing wrong with being a life coach, but I've got to become that, no. Uh, Eugene Peterson tells a story about a plump, cold, plump, bold, cute little girl in his church named Charity, the old-fashioned name Charity. At the time of the telling of the story, Charity was five. And her grandmother, uh, a member of Peterson's church, went to Charity's house for an extended visit. Now, Charity's other grandmother had just left. Now, Charity's other grandmother, as he tells the story, was a very devout Christian who took her grandmothering spiritual duties very seriously. And so little Charity had spent many days with the extremely spiritual grandmother. And so the first morning that grandmother too was there, Charity comes into the bedroom at 5 a.m. in the morning and crawled into bed and cuddled up with her grandmother and said this, let's not have any God talk today while you're here, okay? I believe that God is everywhere. Let's just get on with life. <laughs> you know, I like charity. I think she's onto something. A reproducible life is made visible, available, and personally responsible to be the Jesus that others can physically experience whether you do God talk or not. It's not all about doing God talk. Yeah, God talk is a good thing too, but as Charity realized that Jesus is in the stuff we call life. Isn't it so interesting? This intrigues me and this causes some of my brain cells to kind of activate when I think about it. 1 Corinthians 10 ends with an admonition of how to behave at other people's dinner table. Isn't that interesting? 
When he talks about sharing our life with one another and influencing other people, he ends up at a dinner table, not in a church sanctuary, not in a cathedral, not in a monastery, not in some spiritual boot camp, but he ends up at someone's dinner table. A reproducible life begins with giving people access to our dinner table, right? Then behaving courteously and joyfully. You know, I invited a couple people to watch a game with me today. I think I'll be done preaching by then. You say, well, that's not very spiritual. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes. We do. We'll do a lot of praying. I want to show them how Jesus watches a football game. I want to share my house with them because that's what Jesus would share his house with me. If Jesus had a house, he would let me come over. If Jesus had a house, he would let me eat the, eat the potato chips and the salsa. If Jesus had a house, he would let me eat the chicken wings. If Jesus had a house, he would, be, he would say, what do you want to watch? And he'd be interested in what I was interested in because Jesus is a nice person. I said, Jesus is a nice person. And parents, this is so important to do with your kids. This is so important. Talk to them. Talk to them. Talk to them. Talk to your children. Give them access to you. Hang out with them. Be nice to them. All right? Now, don't try to be their best friend. Let them have other best friends that are their age. Don't try to be over cool. Don't do that. They don't want that. But they want you to talk to them. I, I'm amazed when I hear that there are families where parents and children don't talk to each other. Because our family, we're just like, uh, man, we, we're just running our mouth all the time. I mean, we, we got in from somewhere the other night and me and Elise sat and we talked for an hour. We talked about everything. We went all around the world talking about stuff and about life. And, and you know, I don't talk to them with just the, the view. I'm teaching you something. Sit down, Pastor Phil, sir, put, get my Bible out and my notes. No, I learn from them. I'm listening to them. I'm learning from them as much as that I'm teaching them. But if you want to live a reproducible life, you've got to transmit. You've got to, you've got to breathe each other's air. You've got to listen to each other's words. You got to talk about when you're in the car, talk to your kids about everything. Talk to them about what's happening in the world. Talk about what's happening in politics. Talk about what's happening in the news. And talk, and, and yeah, get, do some God talk. I don't care what charity says, do some God talk. <laughs> Finally, a reproducible life is necessarily sacrificial. The lifestyle question that guides the life of a serious Christ follower isn't. This is so important. Oh, I see the clock back there and I'm going, oh, I wish I had another 10 minutes. The lifestyle question that guy, and don't anybody yell out that I do because there's a 100 people that will hate you. <laughs> don't encourage them. <laughs> the lifestyle question that guides the life of a serious Christ follower isn't about all their life decisions. It is not what's wrong with it. What's wrong with it? That, that's, that's the question that's gotten us into more, taking us more down the wrong path more times than any other question I can think of. It's about whatever it is, with, whatever it is. 
whatever, entertainment, whatever. What's wrong with it? You know, now smoking pot is legal. So what's everybody, I I think, is it legal here now? Recreationally, is it legal? Okay, it's legal now. So you know what the discussion is going to be? What's wrong with it? That is wrong. That's the dumb question. That's the wrong question. What's wrong with it is the wrong question. How will it impact the people that God has put in my path is the right question. How will it out? I, see, I, I think we need to stop asking, is it wrong? And start asking simply, what will the outcome be? If I go down this path, if I do this thing, if Pastor Phil starts smoking pot, what will the outcome be? Where will that lead, lead us? If we start smoking pot together as a church. You can go, is it wrong? You know, people, people say, is it wrong? They're just people who say, well, can I still go to heaven? Do you know what a lousy life you could possibly lead and still maybe make it to heaven? You know what a destructive life you could possibly lead and damaging to your children and damaging to the people that you care about and still squeak into the pearly gates, perhaps? I don't, that's not my standard. This message is not about going to heaven. This message is about helping other people get there. You you caught me off because you knew what I was going to say, right? This message is not about going to heaven. This message is about helping other people get there. That's what this message is about. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. And imitate their faith. One of the worst questions is, is it wrong? Is it, is it wrong to skip church? Is it wrong? Is it wrong to skip church? Well, how much can you skip church and still have children who believe church is important and love God and have faith and be Christians? That's the answer. Is it wrong to work excessively? Is it wrong to rest excessively? Is it wrong to use alcohol or pornography to self-medicate? Is it wrong to cheat on your spouse? Is it wrong to smoke pot? We already covered that. The better question for all behaviors is how is it going to impact the people that I care about and the people that God cares about? 1 Corinthians 10, 23, I'm going to read it again. It sums it up so nicely. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Now, I'll admit, I don't totally understand that, those words right there. And we, I'm sure if we had time, we could kind of unpack that and figure it out. But let's just, let's just let, it, let the mystery part of it rest for a minute and see what Paul says should now be the guiding force of our life. Not is it permissible, but is it beneficial? Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Wow. Did you get that? Did you hear that? What every human being that God connected with me needs to know is this. My work, my resting, my favorite beverage, my favorite way of relaxing, my favorite food. You look look at 1 Corinthians 10. They get into food and beverage, everything. 
my preferred schedule, my preferred music, my preferred entertainment, my preferred conversation, my preferred level of privacy, any and all of my preferences. This is what every human being in my life needs to know. I hope you hear this. They need to know that all of my preferences are less important than them. Did you hear that? Less important than them. Now, am I teaching salvation by works? No, you will not be saved by your good works, but other people will. Am I teaching salvation by works? Someone's going to accuse me of that. You're teaching salvation by works, Phil. You're being a moralist. I am not teaching salvation by works. I am not, but you will not be saved by your good works, but other people will, because the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's really easy. It's called the law of love. I said it's called the law of love. Would you give the Lord a hand for that? Our prayer partners are here today, as you can see, and communion's available. We call this response time if you're new to us. And we just take this time at the end of the service to allow people to pray about what they've heard in the sermon or come and be prayed for for any need in your life. And I want to I pray a special prayer today for someone in our church who is suffering. And um, before I mention them, though, I want to also ask you to pray. I had a conversation this morning with George Gurgis. I think George is here today. George is from Egypt. And uh, I was going to share a video uh, of an incredible video from Egypt re related to uh, the massacre in one of the churches uh, back at Palm Sunday. But we're going to save that and show it later. So I had a conversation with George this morning. And he, was, he asked me this. And I said, well, I'll ask the congregation. Uh, he said, during the next seven days in Egypt, where he's from, and uh, that there's a lot of violence against Christians by radical Muslims. So let's pray this morning for the Egyptian church, the Egyptian Christian church, and also in places like Pakistan, where they're being persecuted and killed so regularly. Let's also pray. We have our uh, own person today who's suffering, Joyce Wicket. Joyce Wicket got hospitalized a few days ago with uh, uh, air leaking from her abdomen, and she's in the hospital, and, and after she got there, she got Mercer. And so she's really suffering. I was there yesterday. So would you uh, pray right now? I'm going to lead us in prayer. You come on. Come on and, and find a place to pray. Receive communion. Come on and get these partners to pray for you. But as you come, I'm going to lead in prayer for these people, okay? Father, in Jesus' name, I lift up Joyce Wicket before you this wonderful faithful member of our church and faithful to, with her giving, faithful with her attendance. And we, uh, we just regard her so highly. And she's suffering and she's hurting right now in the Milford Hospital. And I just pray, God, that you will just bring healing to her body and healing grace to her heart and soul. In Jesus' name. And we pray for our friends in the Middle East. We pray for our Christian brothers in uh, Egypt today especially that during this Christmas period for them, we pray that you will hold back the forces of darkness. And we know how we would feel if it were our church or our family. Well, they are our church and they are our family. So we pray your hand of protection over them. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and be prayed for today. Come and be prayed for.